expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Chairman, Ministers, today I've repeatedly heard how irrelevant my department has become. Why do we need agents for double O section? Isn't it all rather quaint? Well, I suppose I see a different world than you do. And the truth is that what I see frightens me. I'm frightened because our enemies are no longer known to us. They do not exist on a map. They're not nations. They're individuals. Look around you. Who do you fear? Can you see a face, a uniform, a flag? Our world is not more transparent now. It's more opaque. It's in the shadows. That's where we must do battle. So, before you declare us irrelevant, ask yourselves, how safe do you feel? Just one more thing to say. My late husband was a great lover of poetry. And here today I remember this, I think, from Tennyson. We are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven. That which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, November 15, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Vaughn, Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and as always, 519-661-3600 is a number you can reach us if you want to chair in the conversation today. And you can also email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org to express your opinions on the show or suggestions for future shows you'd like to see. As you've probably guessed by our opener today, Robert and I are going to become a little bit of uh, art and entertainment critics to some degree, as he will begin the first half of our show with a look at the theme of the competent man in art. And in keeping with and expanding that broad theme, in the latter half of the program, we'll be looking at the short-lived television sci-fi series Firefly, which we've often cited and referred to over the years of Just Right, but really never took a close look at. So that's something we'll be doing in the latter half of the show. But first, Robert, you had an adventure this weekend, did you? Well, I did, but before I get to that, I want to talk about something else, about the competent man in art and entertainment, which is... um, uh, the competent man in life, and in life. I think a lot of people in London would have would realize what I'm talking about when I mention the Robarts Research Institute. And we have one instance of competency in real life, and it actually prompted me to think of this um, it was from the line from Tennyson's poem, which we just heard Judy Dench say from Skyfall. And. Um, to strive to seek to find is on the plaque on the entrance to Robarts Research Institute, which is uh, just around the corner from here. 
And uh, it's from Tennyson, and I love that quote. And I used to work right across the, the lane from Robarts Research Institute. But Dr. Adrian Owen from that institute has successfully communicated with a patient in a vegetative state by interpreting, uh, interpreting his brain patterns in response to questions using MRI. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. That has been an amazing development. Imagine uh, this guy was vegetative. By vegetative uh, means that he looks like he's awake, but he cannot communicate in any way. It's just a horrifying thought. And they asked him the question, are you in pain? And by looking at the MRI images and um, by instructing the patient to think of the answer properly, they've um, correlated his responses with MRI images and found out that, no, he's not in pain. Absolutely amazing discovery. Uh, and an act of, um, or an example of competence in the field of neuroscience. And kudos to Dr. Owen for such a remarkable accomplishment coming right here from the campus of the University of Western Ontario. But on to entertainment and the image of the competent man. As you said, Bob, I was fortunate uh, enough to, to see the latest James Bond film this week on Monday. And Skyfall, starring Daniel Craig. I've probably seen all 23 Bond films. Really? Uh, including Never Say Never, which would make it 24. And I, I, I single out Never Say Never because it wasn't part of the original um, Eon production list. It was an independent production, eh? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Eon basically produced all of the other 23 Bond films except for that Never Say Never, which starred Sean Connery. But I've seen them all, and um, they're all hit and miss. I grew up in the era of Roger Moore, unfortunately, who I thought of perhaps to be the probably the worst um, James Bond well, I thought he was kind of the clown of the James Bond. That's why he's the worst. It's the spoof of James Bond. Right, the man from uncle of the James Bond. Sort of. The Robert Vaughn of the James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, unfortunately I grew up with um, not a very good impression of Bond, even though I did see all the movies and I was, um, as, a, as a teenager, blown away by all the, the special effects, the action, the scenes and all that. Thing. But uh, as an adult, you look at these movies and you, and you don't simply look at special effects and action scenes and the pretty women. And you, you look at characterization, you look at the people, you look at... What's behind the um, artist's impression, the director's impression, the Ian Fleming's impression of James Bond, and what are they trying to portray as a person out there? And I've come to the conclusion that the competent man is a running theme in James Bond. Now, the latest addition to the canon is a big hit. I give it five out of five, just hands down, Amazing. in every category, writing, story, acting, directing, casting especially casting, and in any other way the movie can um, come together to entertain. Uh, leaving the, By the way, the casting, absolutely fantastic. The person they chose to play, the villain in this, and I'm not going to give away anything in the movie about the movie if you're, if you're listening and, and worried about uh, me giving away some things. I'm not going to give anything away other than the fact that I really enjoyed the movie. But the person they cast as the villain in this one was superbly cast and fantastically acted. Well, we'll, we'll talk about the importance of casting when we get to Firefly, and we won't be afraid of giving away any secrets <laughs> then. But, but you're, you're right, casting is so critical. The wrong person, in the ro in, even in the right role, mm -hmm. can spoil the movie. And Daniel Craig as a choice for James Bond was mm -hmm. um, an excellent choice. I think he's pulling it off remarkably well, as well or even better as uh, Sean Connery did in the originals. Uh, leaving the theater... I contemplated what it was about that movie that I like so much and what it was about any form of art or, or entertainment I like that would give me pleasure. And for me, most of the time, depending on the, 
the type of art, the genre. Um, it's a depiction of a positive sense of life. Sense of life being subconsciously evaluated on an emotional level. It's an integration of all the elements of a character forming a greater picture of his true nature. It's, um, it's not something you consciously think about. It's a feeling you get uh, when you're watching a character in action and you just feel that it's right now, depending on your own sense of life as a mirror. You know, we often use that term, positive sense of life. I think it's important to distinguish that from, from a rosy picture of life. It's not what we're talking oh, no, about. No, 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 no. You can, you can be in the worst horrible situation and still have a show about that situation with a positive sense of life about it. That's right. Is that, you, you, agree, you would agree with you that? You and I right? agree yeah. about this particular term. We, you, you and I know what we're talking about mm. when we say positive sense of life. It is it's about a, the values. Exactly. Yeah. It's about knowing that your life is worth living and striving to... Uh, and not yielding, as Tennyson would say, to to survive and to uh, make the best out of your life, even in adverse situations. As a matter of fact, adverse situations is almost necessary for good ent entertainment. There always has to be conflict for there to be good entertainment. A uh, sense of life is an overall impression of a character based on his words and actions. And when those words and actions consistently conform to your own ideal, then you feel an affinity towards the character and value his portrayal and the work of art he appears in, uh, whether it's a movie or book or play, whatever. Uh, one aspect of sense of life analysis is competency, the ability of, to successfully deal with the world by having knowledge of it and the skill to act within it, and then the desire to act and the motivation to act to your benefit. It requires a firm grasp of reality a quick and open mind and a willingness to act. And I think that's probably the key thing there is that a lot of people can know about reality. They're open minded about it. They have knowledge, they have skill, but it's the willingness to do the right thing at the right time that defines a competent man, I think. And that's what I like about James Bond is that he'll do exactly the right thing at the right time, whether it's not it's killing the bad guy, throwing someone off a train, um, having no remorse for killing the bad guy is another good trait, I think, by the way. Or whether it's um, interesting how wooing many... the women. That's another great trait, I think, that, that he knows what to say at the right time, at the right place. Now, I have to make an observation in that regard. You know, like you, I've watched many Bond movies in the past, and I find when I try to re-watch them, they don't seem to capture my attention the way a lot of other TV shows or current programs can. And even though like all the elements of what I generally would like to see in those types of movies, you know, gadgets, hot cars, hot women, espionage, secret agents. How can you go wrong with that? But some of those old moving movies, you like can. those Roger Moore ones, there's something critical missing. Yeah, there's right? another element that's missing. I can't bring myself to personally care about the characters. I yeah. really can't. I don't. Did you feel personally involved with the characters when you watched um, Skyfall? Sky, Skyfall? Oh, very much so. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they do a lot of backstory. I'm not giving anything no, away no, here. No, no, no. They do a lot of backstory. They they flesh out the character a lot more. As a matter of fact, the Vatican newspaper, um, what's it called here, L'Observatore Romano, said that... Um, I disagree. I, by the way, I disagree with this completely. Um, the famous spy is a rather good one because it makes him less of a cliché and more human, capable of being moved and of crying. Oh in other goodness. words, more real. I'm sorry, but frankly, I didn't see him cry in the in the film. No, but they said capable of crying. Uh, capable <laughs> of crying, yeah. So, in other words, if you become an emotional wreck, 
that's more real. And I think that's the exact opposite of what James Bond is. And I don't know who this guy who wrote that was, but he obviously didn't see the fame, same film I did. In other words, um, he's looking at it from a different lens. Uh, he actually said that Judy Dench shows the fragility of a woman who hides behind the cold mask of the boss of the powerful MI6, rendering her less distant and more appealing. Uh, again, to look at things from a gender point of view is to miss the whole point. I didn't even see Judy Dench's gender when I saw her act as M. I saw a very powerful portrayal of a very powerful person uh, doing her job very well. But of course, the, the Vatican newspaper saw, oh, it's a woman. Oh, look at that. Isn't that nice? A woman is, <laughs> is playing M, as she done for the last, I think, six Bond films. Uh, fantastically so, by the way. She's a great actress. Ian Fleming's character of James Bond has, I think, these this characteristic. And the competent man usually can be described in some or all of the following ways. Tell me if you agree with these, Bob. A worldly sophistication. A self-assured egoist who is confident and focused, being fearless and brave. A renaissance man or jack-of-all-trades. A man of purpose and focused action. A man who takes pride in his appearance, but not necessarily a peacock or vain about it. Uh, this is the kind of protagonist I prefer to see on the screen or read about. Now, in, by comparison, compare the competent man character with his opposite, the everyman character we see so often in uh, a lot of books and films and plays. The everyman character is usually depicted as being slovenly in appearance, possessing more flaws than virtues. He's usually helpless in a world he has no control over and is often resigned to a hapless fate. The everyman lacks knowledge, skills. He's a complainer and moans that nothing ever goes his way. Think of Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, George in Of Mice and Men, Holden Caulfield in The Catcher in the Rye, or Winston Smith in 1984. These are pathetic creatures, contemptible for their inability or unwillingness to better their situation or for their resignation to their fate. Every good protagonist should have a character flaw. Don't get me wrong, you have to have a flaw to make it interesting. One which reveals a conflict within him, usually a conflict which drives him to greatness. You'll find that flaw in the latest James Bond, by the way, and even in the very first depiction of Bond in the book, not necessarily mm -hmm. in the movie, but in the book Dr. No, which I read uh, this earlier this year. Um, it, it starts off with Bond recovering after losing a battle with somebody. He's, um, yes, he's very injured, and he's returning to work at the very opening of the book. Uh, you don't see that in the movie at all, by the way. But for the everyman protagonist, he's riddled with so many flaws that it's very difficult to watch them. You know, as you said before, you don't care about them. The sense of life for the everyman is negative. You know what? You've it's almost... something which does not attract me. It's almost because the everyman, as you've described him, doesn't care about himself. Exactly. Why should I care? You've got it. <laughs> you hit the nail on the First head. First time that's ever hit me like that. I couldn't watch. I couldn't stand reading um, Catcher in the Rye. It was hopeless. I read it. I, I had to read. I forced myself to read it just to see what it was about. Absolutely awful book. You know, there are some... Death of a Salesman. Horrible. There are some characters like that. I think Seinfeld was like that, but it made you laugh at them. They weren't they weren't exactly <laughs> admirable characters, right? No, but comedy is different. Comedy, comedy, comedy can take that and run yes. with it. Yeah. 
which by the way is uh, are, are we going to break yet or you still got a bit more you want, want to do no there? let's have a break here okay. when we come back from the break I'll take up a few more uh, competent protagonists well, I admire sure and, and in these speaking of comedy and what we were just speaking to the competent man in these two very different kind of spoofs coming up of the secret agent genre we'll hear on this side of the bumper the theme of competence being taken to its positive extreme I think a super secret agent Flint appears incapable of doing of doing wrong. He's so knowledgeable and he's an expert on just about everything, including ballet dancing. By the way, he has no flaw. That's his no flaw, flaw. I think. <laughs> then on the other side of the bumper, we'll hear secret agent Austin Powers, uh, almost taking the theme of incompetence to its illogical extreme. <laughs> given that competent or not, he always seems to do just as well as his Flint counterpart. But they're both for laughs. So let's listen in, and we'll return after this. Your code book. If you don't mind, sir, I prefer to use my own personal code. But I would rather use the government. I already know mine, sir. It's a mathematical progression, 40, 26, 36. It's based on... I can imagine what it's based on. Walter PPK with silence. A high-velocity, extreme penetrating power. Yes, it's a very fine weapon. Tempered steel. Very effective at close range. But I have no need for these. Uh, Crude. Now, uh, this contains 65 weapons. This has 82 different functions. 83 if you wish to light a cigar. Oh, chemical analysis of that dark. That's odd. In addition to the poison, there were traces of garlic, saffron, and fennel on the feather. What proportion, sir? Uh, proportion. Marseille. Bouillabaisse. Huh? Well, sir, throughout the world of the preparation of bouillabaisse, the usual proportion of garlic to buttered saffron fennel is two cloves of garlic to a pinch of buttered saffron to a dash of fennel. Now, only in a certain small section of Marseille are these three condiments prepared in these proportions. Now, Whoever handled that dart was in Marseille within the last 24 hours. Goodbye, sir. Now, hold it, hold it. Here's a list of the men under your command. No, thank you. I don't need anyone, sir. Brent, you said you were joining the team. But the team isn't joining me. Damn it, man. For once in your life, you're going to follow orders. This is my mission, sir. I work alone. You know that. Your mission? The United States government is involved in this, too, not to mention the rest of the world. It's my show now. I think it's obvious. We should take Dr. Evil's lair by force. You can be my backup, son. Backup? Well, that's fairly condescending. Do you think Dr. Evil's going to expect an attack? We should infiltrate his lair. This ain't my first rodeo, cowboy. We need commandos, scuba, gadgets, for God's sake. Well, I don't like to use gadgets. Outside the bedroom, I thank you. <laughs> yes, outside the bedroom. There's no shortage of competent men in film and books, though I wouldn't necessarily call Austin Powers the, an example of a competent I man. I can't help thinking of Inspector Gadget after hearing that. Oh, yes, it's very much like that, isn't it? Here are some of my favorite competent men in some of the films and videos that I really enjoy, and books. Sherlock Holmes, 
The stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle depict a man in complete control of his mind and his senses, able to detect things from minutia which the ordinary man would dismiss. His flaw, though, is his lack of empathy, compensated for by his faithful companion, Dr. Watson. The epitome of Holmes on television would have to be the Jeremy Brett interpretation. I understand you enjoyed the Jeremy Brett interpretation as Loved well. Loved it. I Loved it. Isn't it just absolutely perfect? It was the living the living Sherlock Holmes. They was. did almost every story of Sherlock Holmes. Unfortunately, Jeremy Brett died. Yeah, passed uh, away very young in his early 50s. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, um, from a congenital heart failure or something like that. Now, Agatha Christie, sticking with um, detectives, Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot is another detective whose little gray cells have solved many a crime. Poirot is an unashamed egoist, unafraid to recognize his great skill and make sure that everybody knows it. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, seen them in the movies, but I've read some of the Agatha Christie books with Poirot and uh, seen his rendition by, oh, the name of the actor escapes me right now, but... Uh, uh, fantastic character. Uh, again, using his mind and knowledge and skills to solve crime. You know, there's there's one I'm man. aware of, but really have never watched or gotten into. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to check it out sometime. Honey West. Oh, we talked about her on the show Honey before. West is another detective who, although is often at the wrong end of a, a fist, <laughs> <laughs> bounces back, shrugs it off, and with her superior intelligent drive, makes sure that the bad guys get their just desserts Although not always, and even though she may have lost a case or two, she always stro- strove to do her best, and that's what I loved. That was the thing, and, and they made no bones about it. It was explicitly expressed. Yeah. It wasn't a subtle thing. No, and they, again, they're not ashamed of their abilities. I think that is a feature of the competent man that I really like, and in this case, the competent woman. I use the man, of course, generically. But um, that, I think, is key is that not only are you good at what you do, either you are not boastful about it, or if somebody inquires about it, you don't deny it. Mm-hmm. You don't deny your ability. Now, there are, of course, um, the dies from which most detectives were cast. Sam Spade by uh, Dashiell Hammett and Philip Marlowe uh, of Ray- Raymond Chandler's creation. Uh, distant relatives, I think, to the Jim Rockfords of the Rockford Files, uh, those kinds of detectives. I always liked that. I mean, Rockford, uh, to me, was a, a competent man as well. Excellent but, show. I, enjoy, I always yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a, it was a good Down show. to earth, right right, right on, you know, <laughs> where that rubber hits the, the ground. The thing is, though, that Rockford, Jim Rockford, was all, almost Garner? like an, any, uh, an everyman, but an exceptional, an exceptional everyman, if you know what I mean. Like, he lived at a trailer on the beach. He was not rich, right? Right. I mean, he was trying to eke out in a living, but using his mind and his ability and his skill and his experience effectively to do just that. Columbo was one of my favorite competent men who certainly didn't exhibit all of the traits I previously described, but disheveled in appearance and humble in nature, a trait I don't usually enjoy. Ah, but he, he used them to ah, his advantage. Yes, he was the <laughs> king of the inverted detective story where the criminal is revealed at the beginning of the story, and it's up to Columbo to catch him using his superior intellect, which he always did. Um, yes, he always did reveal the character, but unfortunately, sometimes they, they got away. That, that happened, and once or twice he mm-hmm. wore a suit. And you know what? You felt as uncomfortable watching him wear it as he looked wearing it. <laughs> well said, <laughs> when you had to go to these, right these events, that. you know. The American Western is not without its competent men, as any reader of Louis L'Amour can tell. 
Jubal Sackett, one of uh, uh, Lemoore's uh, creations I enjoyed, is a pioneering character who must battle the elements of a hostile frontier to survive and thrive. Homesteaders and pioneers have to build, um, have to be built of stronger stuff to survive, not only to survive nature, uh, which is relentlessly trying to kill them, but the so-called savages and bandits in the lawless land. Anybody who hasn't read Louis L'Amour, I really recommend um, that author. Robert A. Heinlein wrote about such pioneers, but in a futuristic science fiction setting, a new frontier where competent characters like Lazarus Long and the Farnums of Farnum Freehold battle black hats behind every corner. Uh, great entertainment by Heinlein. Um, in, in space, no one can hear you whine. It's not a place for the everyman coward and a fitting home for a Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek or a Dylan Hunt in Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Other examples, uh, examples of competent men. And when it comes to entertainment, give me characters with a positive sense of life, competent men and women who can take on the world willingly with purpose and enjoy the challenges life throws at them. Give me a James Bond, a Captain Kirk, or a Sherlock Holmes and leave your Willie Lomans for people who enjoy watching other people live meaningless, miserable lives of desperation and despair. There's no entertainment value for me to be found in stories which depict pitiful characters in hopeless situations. Good art and entertainment is about the expression of an ideal, not the expression of the common, the ordinary, or the mundane. Luckily, we're blessed these days with some pretty good television, movies, and books with characters we can aspire to and emulate. And Skyfall fits that bill to a T, and I highly recommend it. Five out of five stars. Excellent, Robert. Going to be changing... Our programming now, or our focus on the program, coming up next and now after we return and, and when we return from our break, we'll be talking about the enduring appeal of the TV series Firefly, which uh, seems to be mentioned even currently in some current TV series, as we'll hear shortly. But before we go to our break, we have a, an excerpt, the only excerpt from the series, believe it or not, even though we're going to be talking about it for the whole half hour. And this is from, um, I don't know if, I'll, I'll be describing more of the show when we return, but this is an excerpt from an episode called Our Mrs. Reynolds, in which the captain of the ship has just found a stowaway on his ship they've just taken off and we're talking about outer space now in a, in a transport cargo ship and he has found this young lady on the ship who he does not know does not recognize and uh, really doesn't know what to do with so we're going to share the discovery with him and you get some idea of how the characters on Firefly relate to each other we'll return after the break could you repeat that please I am your wife that was your agreement with Elder Garman, since he hadn't cast your livestock... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go back to the part where you're my wife? I don't please you. You can't please me. You never met me. So why do I have a wife? You got a wife? All I got is that dumbass stick sounds like it's raining. How come you got a wife? I didn't. We're not married. I'm sorry that I shame you. You don't shame me. Zoe, would you get washed? I said wash. Captain, everyone should have a chance to congratulate you on your day of bliss. There's, there's no bliss. I don't know this girl. Then can I know her? Jane, don't sully this. You are going to be cleaning latrines with your face. You're going to that up. Who's the new recruit? Everybody, I want you all to meet 
Mrs. Reynolds. <gasps> you got married? <gasps> wow, that's... Uh... Congratulations. We'd always hoped you two kids would get together. Who is she? She's no one. Captain. Would you stop that? I'm sorry. You brute. Oh, sweetie. Don't feel bad. He makes everybody cry. He's like a monster. I'm not a monster. <laughs> Watch it. Turn the ship around. Can't. It's an order. Yeah, but can't. Okay. What the hell is wrong? Have you got an encyclopedia? The touched down the second after we left. And there's already a bulletin on the cortex as to the murder of a prefect's nephew. That's right. One of our bandits has family ties. So unless you feel like walking into a gallows, I suggest we continue on to Beaumont and you enjoy your honeymoon. <laughs> this isn't happening. Would you stop crying? For God's sake, Mal, could you be a human being for 30 seconds? It's one married man to another. I'm not married! I'm sorry. You're, you have very nice qualities, but I didn't ever marry you. I believe you did. Last night. How drunk was I last night? Well, I don't know. I passed out. Your phone. Listen, if you want your very own signed copy of Storm Season, I'd be happy to arrange a private signing. Cap your pen, Castle. There's been a murder here. Here at SupernovaCon? Mm-hmm. Shiny. You gotta admit, this is a genius place to commit a murder. I mean, you don a costume, strike down your intended target, and then melt into the crowd unseen. You sound like you actually thought about this, Castle. I used to come here a lot. Alexis and I would get here every year, dress up. You should have seen her, like a little pint-sized Princess Leia. And you were? Oh, Darth Vader, of course. So, who is our victim? Did Doc Ock finally catch up with Spider-Man? Think more TV starship. Oh, um, Borg attack. Mm -mm. Cylon skin job. Please say number six. Nope, Nebula 9. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, how is Nebula 9 worthy of all this? I mean... They were canceled over a decade ago, after 12 episodes, which was 12 episodes, too many. I thought you would be a fan. I'm a fan of good sci-fi. Star Trek, Battlestar, that Joss Whedon show, but Nebula 9? No, no, I saw phony melodrama and lifeless acting. Okay, this is a cool ship. The show is still lame, but this is a cool ship. <laughs> this is a cool ship. That did look like a cool ship, didn't it? It did, actually. That was from the last Castle, or the second to last Castle episode. Yeah, I was really surprised. You know, that that episode of Castle, which stars, of course, Nathan Fillion in, in the lead role of Castle, was aired only like two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. And um, by the way, just for the record, and in contrast to what I brought up on last week's show... Unlike my dismal and totally wrong prediction on this show that the TV series Drive, remember we mentioned that mm -hmm. last week, um, which also happened to star Nathan, Nathan Fillion, <laughs> would become a big hit. I got it totally wrong, but I also pointed out on this show that his show Castle would become a big hit, and I got that one right. So, oh, one out you know, of three. One, well, one out of three. What, Firefly Drive? Well, Excellent. I never made any predictions about Firefly. Oh, sorry, didn't you? Okay. No, so I'm just saying that you know, my rate is 50-50 now, so you can trust me. <laughs> okay. It's better than a lot of economists. <clears throat> 
But here's here, here is an exclusive to this to this show and a discovery I made when I was listening to that. You might have just discovered one just as you were talking while that clip was playing. But I think I decoded the message. There was a secret message in that little part that we just heard, and I've uncovered several secret agent-like clues that were embedded in that conversation between Castle and, and Beckett, his partner there. There's two in-jokes that I picked up. Yeah? What were they? Tell me. Oh, well, first of all, he says shiny, and I think that that's what they say in Firefly uh, as meaning something good, right? Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. Ah, I figured. Okay. And secondly, um, I don't want to take your thunder, of course, but he references that Josh Whedon oh, show. Oh, that was a very obvious one, yeah, yes. Which is his, of course. And But I think, you know, I think what they're trying to tell us is that we should all be watching Firefly again. And if you haven't seen it before, you know, watch it again or watch it now. It's it's subliminal, subversive seduction, I tell you. You're right. That, that Josh Whedon show that Castle referred to is, of course, Firefly. But so were all the other clues, and it didn't hit me till I ran this sheet listing the episodes of Firefly. Um, and some people might counter even with that, that Joss Whedon, so they say, well, Joss Whedon didn't just produce Firefly, he produced other TV sure, shows Bucky, as well. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was the big one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, to which I would respond, well, if that's so, then why the reference to Nebula 9? Why Nebula 9, Robert? Objects in space. I don't know why Nebula 9. Because there were nine cast members on Firefly. Is that right? Count them. It's like Blake's... uh, Very important factor, yes. And, uh, you know, just a coincidence, you say? Okay, well, I'll come back. You know, he says Nebula 9 was canceled over a decade ago. Uh So was Firefly. Firefly. Just a coincidence? Ah. He said Nebula 9 was canceled after only 12 episodes. Take a look. There's 15 episodes of Firefly. But look, look at the note on the last three. Unaired. Ah, and that's when it hit me. <laughs> twelve episodes. They only went to twelve episodes, right? They, they, it's literally that's what they were doing. Yeah, there were fifteen made, plus a theater release movie after the series um, wrapped up, but only a dozen episodes were aired when the series was canceled. The remaining three unaired episodes finally made it to air when the show was recycled on other networks like Space Network, which mm-hmm. is where I first saw it, by the way. And the real bizarre twist in this is that notice the last two episodes aired. The last aired episodes. Trash and no. The Message? No, no, those, those are unaired. Oh, okay. the last two aired. Uh, Serenities 1 and 2. Yeah, the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> they aired the first episode last, and Joss Whedon complained about Was that. Was that Fox? Yes. Of course, Fox. And they, they certainly know how to destroy a good show. They've done it several well, times. Well, they never listened to the artists, you know, so, so they had to literally rewrite a, a new, new pilot and then fit this story in later. But then again, do you know that Star Trek didn't start off with the first episode either? Neither of the first two pilots aired first. The well, first those, episode. Those di- that's a different thing. Those pilots were were with different actors. They were the. Uh, no, no, the first two. Um, were me- the one with. Um, with Captain Pike. Uh, with Pike, and then they did a, a second pilot because they were were intrigued by Star Trek's mm-hmm. pilot, but they didn't take but it. But those were just for the studio executives. They, they were said, never do aired. another pilot. Yeah, but the first one that was shown, of course, was the Salt Demon. And mm-hmm. so you're right into the show. That's right. Where No Man Has Gone Before would have been the first one that they should have shown. But anyways, you know, that 12-episode cancellation clue was definitely... Like a bunch of geeks here, don't we? <laughs> it was definitely the clincher to my theory. Uh, you know, I find it interesting that Nathan Fillion, as Castle, can still get mileage out of making references to Firefly. Canceled over a decade ago. In a 2012 broadcast of Castle, aired just a few weeks ago. I think that's a bit of a testament to the longevity and increased 
increasing popularity of a show that's no longer in production. You don't think it's a, a testament to Nathan Fillion's lamenting of <laughs> cancelled shows? I think that, that might on? be part of it, but why say it? If, you, if your audience can't relate to it, I can't tell you how many people brought that to my attention before I even saw that episode of Castle. Yeah. You did, my daughter did, a whole group of people, and these were mostly the group of people that I introduced the show to. I'm very pleased to know that many of my friends and acquaintances, because this was just something I picked out of a hat one time when I saw Space airing the show, and I said, what is this weird show? It was a really crappy time for television, I remember. Uh, remember there a lot of writer strikes on, and, and oh, we yes, were going yeah. through a lot of tough times, and television was really revamping. And um, Firefly just came out of the blue, and I just says, you know, okay, I'll take a chance at this. And I just couldn't believe it. Everything was just one surprise, Do one after the there other. Was, there was another reference, uh, internal reference in Castle, uh, Nathan Villian makes to Firefly when he actually dresses up as the uh, captain that he played in yes, Firefly yeah, for Mal, Halloween. Mal, uh, yeah. Mal Reynolds uh, for Halloween, and he comes out as a. And his daughter says, what are you? He says, I'm a space cowboy. And she says, didn't you do that before? And he goes, well, maybe. And she says, it's time to move on. <laughs> Absolutely priceless reference. Well, it's funny. I just, uh, I haven't watched Firefly for a couple of years now, and I rewatched it, the whole series, over the last couple of months. Not, not hard to do when there's only 15 episodes. But uh, so while it's fresh in my mind, that was a good time I thought I, I should bring it up. Before we continue, what I've prepared coming up next is a collage of commentaries on the show Firefly by the people who produced it and starred in it. And I've mixed this in, in an original way. I, this, is, this is actually from the DVD set where you know how, how they do extras and they, you get to hear a lot of the interviews with the actors. And there was so much I could have picked. It was an hour and a half session just hearing these people talk. There's so many things you learn about them, about the industry, about Hollywood in general, about what it's like to become famous, about the, you know, just what, what it feels like. So on this side of the bumper, what we'll hear is about three minutes or so of the character or the actors talking about themselves and their relationship to the show. And on the other side of the bumper, we're going to hear about another three minutes or so of the actors talking about themselves and their characters, the, what role their characters play in Firefly. And when we return after that, you and I can banter what we like and don't like about the show. Okay? Sounds, Sounds good. good? Okay. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. I have friends that still sing a theme song. I, the theme song just gets in your, gets under your skin, and I, I love it. That, that song, every word in it is very deliberate, and uh, is, it tells the story of exactly who Mal is from the get-go. We had Greg Abenson on it, on the show, and, and um, he got more than anybody, uh, and it's a hard thing to get, the idea of using a kind of Western vernacular and then mixing it with world music and, you know, a Chinese influence as well, and, um, uh, and at the same time servicing a normal TV score. The cross-section of an intelligence of people who are fans of Firefly have just uh, really broadened my, my horizons. Uh, I hate to give them that much credit, but it's true. The people who are seeing this understand it. And, you know, there's nothing more important. Um, there's only one reason to make art, and that's it. What I said to Joss in our first meeting was, I'm so not this guy. He's tortured, he's bitter, he's hollow, he's, he has no hope, he's, he's, there's nothing. 
you know, lively and wonderful exploding within this man. I kept telling him, I'm not this guy. I'm, I'm really not this tortured soul. I go in and audition and uh, basically just uh, stick around for a couple hours, meet Joss, hang out, find out I'm testing the next day, and then like start work the day after that. It was so fast and it was mind-blowing. I remember going down from my network test into uh, the set where everybody was shooting and being like, great, this is where you're working now. <laughs> I was a big fan of westerns growing up and Warren Oates and Eli Wallach were two... Um, like kind of down and dirty characters, one from The Wild Bunch, one from The Good, Bad, and The Ugly, and I just thought, boy, it'd be great to play a guy like that, but handsomer. Everything was a first for me. I'd never, I'd never gone to a table read with all the other actors and all these people that I'd seen on TV before, and I went and uh, sat with all the other, uh, other actors and did the first read-through of the script, and it came to life, and I was shaking with excitement. It was just, every moment was incredible. I have kept myself from being exposed to as much science fiction as possible. <laughs> so I was actually delighted that, um, that um, there were no um, prosthetics. Script came in, I heard Joss Whedon was behind it, got excited, read it, got even more excited, and um, heard that if I were to get the part, I would have to gain 20 pounds. He wanted Kaylee to look like a woman. He didn't want any sort of anorexic looking, you know, young actress uh, type girl that everybody's so used to seeing on TV. He wanted somebody that looked like they enjoyed a cheeseburger once in a while and uh, really embellished in life. under the heel of nobody ever again. No matter how long the arm of the Alliance might get, we'll just get ourselves a little further. Malcolm Reynolds represented someone who, although had lost all his hope, would not give up. He just would press on. He didn't have any grand dreams. He didn't have any grand causes or goals. All he wanted to do was continue. He wasn't going to shut down and die. He was just going to continue living his life. Do you want me to put it up? No, that's okay. I think Inara brought to that world, to the, the life of, of these people on the ship, uh, the heart and sort of like a nurturing quality. I think that she um, is an extremely passionate person and she cared very, very much for every single person on that ship. Shouldn't be a problem at all. My strongest understanding of WASH came through my relationship with Zoe, or Gina, with my wife. That was where I had the most understanding. I think it was an interesting relationship. She was this solid fighter woman, and I was a chicken. I didn't, I didn't like fighting. I wasn't in the war. I wore Hawaiian shirts all the time. I just, I loved Gina, and we had a great rapport, and the stuff that was written for us, this kind of struggle, the struggling marriage, uh, made sense to me. Captain shouldn't be babysitting a damn groupie, and he knows it. Okay, when did this become not funny? When you didn't turn around and put her ass back down on Triumph. She's the resident, like, 
hard-ass chick. <laughs> She's the one. She gets the job done. She enjoys her job. She is career military. She has no problem with killing people if it's right. And because she is career military, I mean, you really won't hear her um, argue with or oppose Mal too often unless she, she really thinks there's something wrong. Where do you think you're going? Zoe's been badly hurt. I need my medical supplies. Simon had a lot, technically, to do on the show in terms of, you know, wounds and bullet holes and you know, lots of unfilled infirmary bloody stuff. She's the, the wayward child of the group. She understands. She doesn't comprehend. And I think that she's a purpose for them, too. They had to make decisions that they wouldn't normally wake, make on her behalf, you know, having to try to help her, save her. There's no beacon. Which means it's likely no one's looking to find her. All the more reason for us to do the right thing. I think Book is kind of the, the conscience of the ship. In any kind of situation, he could be inserted as the conscience, uh, both from his own point of view and also um, from the perspective of being able to require other people to be aware of dealing with where their consciences are coming from. Care to make the first incision, Dr. Tan? <laughs> Kaylee brings the sense of family. She makes sure that everybody remembers that they really are one big family and all they have is each other. Don't know these folks, don't much care to. They're whores. I'm in. Sex, muscle, humor, thuggery, Jane. Pretty cunning, don't you think? And there you have it, a summary of the, of the people in Firefly. Any comments on just what you heard there, Robert? Oh, it's bringing back so many memories. I haven't watched that series in a few years now, but just to listen to Nathan Fillion and Summer Glau and Ron Glass. Ron Glass, I love from Barney Miller. I thought he was a great actor, and he was perfect in this role as uh, Shepard Book. He was, and I thought it was funny hearing him say how much he wanted to avoid science fiction <laughs> because he didn't want to wear prosthetics. That's one of the things that's very unique about Firefly as a sci-fi show. There's no aliens. There's no space warping, no beaming, nothing like that. A lot of low-tech, including six-gun shooters and horses on the ranch. They employed a technique it, as well that I saw in Battlestar Galactica cinematographically. Uh, it was um, the shaky camera cinema verite effect mm -hmm. in space. And, of course, they're only using... CGI. CG, <laughs> right? And yet they make it look as if there's a camera attached to the uh, to the spacecraft as they're plunging through the atmosphere or attacking the uh, the reavers and uh, a fantastic very realistic effect that they had for that show i thought too that the characters in this spo show spoke very much to the theme that you were talking about in the first half of the show. I was amazed as you were talking. You were almost undercutting some of what I wanted to say. Every man versus the competent man. That theme is definitely part of Firefly. And these are every, every man type of people having to become competent in order to survive. There's no two ways about it. And... You hear uh, Gina Torres talking about her character, you know, the hard-ass chick who has no problem killing people as long as it's right. 
No question about that. And you see that attitude in the show. I think that was refreshing, too. Yes, uh, uh, Firefly had a great moral center mm-hmm. to it. It knew what was right and what was wrong. And one of the scenes that particularly struck with me was when they're standing in front of the Firefly, the, uh, 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 the, the, the ship... Yeah, right? which is a big transport ship. Not, yeah. not too high-tech. And the engines were warming yeah. up, uh, like a jet engine, right? That's pretty and much what they And they had these are. bad guys kneeling down on the tarmac. Oh. And one guy says to Mal Reynolds, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And Mal says, well, thanks for letting me know, and then boots him right into the engine. Yeah, and he Kills him right then right on the right spot, there. you know, like, like a proper person should. Yeah. He's just been threatened with death. Then he goes to the next guy and he goes, no, I, I'm with you, buddy, I'm with you, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an odd crew, you know. Um, it's a cast of nine. Usually I have trouble keeping track of nine characters, but not in this show. Every one of those characters you got to know and cared about. There's great chemistry there. Uh, incredible chemistry. Unique. And that, that's something that I honestly think can never be repeated. Once you get that chemistry once, you know, when, when they go back and try to redo shows or re-bring them back, I don't think you could do that. Not, not and do it justice. You know what I mean? Um, would you disagree with that? You no. know, because I think once you have that chemistry... Yeah. You've got it. You, it's just one of those once-in-a-lifetime kind of things. Yeah, you can't redo something like that. It's like trying to redo the original Star Trek. You, you have to do a different thing mm-hmm. and hope that the chemistry is there. But just some summary points I made about the show. And, and by the way, if you're looking for a Christmas gift, this would be a nice little DVD package to give someone. If you've never seen it, you're in for a treat. Yes, it's Re- one of the best shows ever. Uh, uh, that uh, every, on television. I have never recommended it to anyone who watched it and said, you know, I didn't like that show. It really sucked. Nobody ever said that to me. In fact, if anything, the show rises to their top five or six or seven favorites. And it's when it becomes a ritualistic thing. There was only 15 episodes, but mm-hmm. every one of them was a gem. There was no they bad were. fireflies. There was no Spock brains of fireflies. Mm, no, no. <laughs> Spock's brain. Now, what, what, I, what I found interesting, too, it, it, the crew is kind of a... They're, they're a bunch of privateers who find themselves engaged in sometimes dubious and illegal activities, but never immoral. They always keep a deal. Their reputation is important, and of course, they're always fighting the the big benevolent fascist state. Very not, which was interesting that they didn't create this monstrous state, but this benevolent fascism, which was sounds familiar. It does, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're living in it, and that's why I found the show so uh, palatable. It, there was so much reality in it. It reflects a culture of the future. I think they projected about 500 years or so. And it looks like some cultures of the past. When you look at it, you, you, if somebody tuned into this show in the middle of a screening, they'd think they were looking at some show done about some era 2,000 years ago. Sometimes you get that biblical feeling about some of the scenery mm-hmm. and the trade markets that they go to until a spaceship flies into the scene, right? With all the people and their animals on the ground. Um, two basic cultures, Chinese and English, and which gives them the opportunity to do all their swearing in Chinese. Yes. So that they, they can react realistically. Like when they swore, they sound like they were swearing, but they weren't offensive. Because we couldn't understand the words, right? But you I could, understand that, well, that what they were yeah. saying were actually uh, insults as well. Yes, in, in Chinese. Chinese. And they had a, uh, someone there. They, they, did, they did everything they could to make it as realistic as possible. I thought in this, sh- in, in this series, too, the stories were truly original. 
Um, the, the number of times I've watched a lot of TV in life, and I've the unexpected twists and turns in the plot just go from minute to minute, sometimes right to the last 30 seconds of a show. Well, that's what I'm going to have to do now, Bob. You've just it, piqued my curiosity. I'm going to have to go back to the credits and find out who the uh, writers were for that show, see if there's any there that I recognize. Well, Joss Whedon was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, the show is everything from very heavy and serious drama, no questions about it. I mean, there's some pretty... Let's face it, the odd gruesome scene here and there. But a lot of comedy, a lot of comedy was was um, integrated throughout the whole show. And I think that helped to reveal both their respect and camaraderie that the characters had. We heard a ba- bit of that in that clip where they find out that Mal is, quote, married. Normally, they he's got really strong discipline, but outside of running the ship, they can tell him anything they want, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see that personal friendship, and that's what it's... It's all about family, and it's about loyalty. And, and relationships, yeah. and making things work in a close-quarter environment. How many science fiction shows do you know where everybody sits around a dinner table and talks? And shares stories? And talks lost about in space. Stuff? Well, maybe, that's about <laughs> it, but this show did it. And and it lent that sense of uh, you felt like you were sitting at the dinner table with them. As a matter of fact, they did you know? that in uh, Voyager, Star Trek Voyager. They sat around the in the mess hall and talked a lot of, a lot of times. Yeah, and you know what? That's that's a funny thing you say. The mess hall. That Voyager was antiseptic compared to Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was an antiseptic place. This place, Firefly, they made it look like a home. It was lived in for sure. Yes. The one thing you haven't mentioned though, Bob, is the movie. The movie Fire um, Serenity. Serenity. Well, that was how they finished the story after the series would, was abruptly ended, mm-hmm. and uh, that was actually the last movie that I saw in a theater. And uh, they wrapped up all the storylines. It was a great story, and it yep. was too bad Joss couldn't have developed it longer via the TV series. They I think. even kill off a main character, one of the nine. Two, yes. Yeah, so, two of them, yeah. you know, like I say, the show's about reality. It's not a happy ending kind of show, despite that, quote, positive sense of life that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say it's happy ending and everything's, you know, wine and roses kind of thing. Sometimes the endings are very bittersweet, and that leaves that taste in your mouth for more. Well, it goes back to Tennyson's to strive to seek to find and never to yield. Mm-hmm. You know, and they didn't. Ne- they never yielded to the uh, benevolent fascist state that they were uh, against. You know, not and also not too many shows what I literally call a work of art. Um, I watched this show again with a critical eye this last time I watched it because I was somewhat familiar with the plots, and I noticed the direction style and sudden shifts in cerebral perspective, if you put it that way. It almost shocks you into seeing things you wouldn't normally see. Do you remember the the, the episode Objects in Space? I don't know how they did it, but the artistry and beauty of how that episode was filmed almost surpassed this great story about this horribly evil guy that they had in that episode, right? But just the way it was filmed, especially when uh, River picks up that stick and just looks at it. Remember that scene? I'm afraid not. No, but that is the uh, episode where the assassin is coming after him, right? Yeah. But anyways, uh, in the end, I guess after watching Firefly, you will truly feel as if you yourself had shared, not just viewed the experience with the characters. That's how I felt. I think it's the show's ability to share that certain sense of life that makes it timeless. It appeals to the past, to the present, and to the future. And I think that's the central strength of Firefly and of what makes it good art. I know Joss Whedon is incredibly proud of that series as a standalone. 
But unfortunately, Robert, time is not on the side of those of us on live radio, and the clock has once again wound around to where the big hand is almost going to meet that little hand at the top of the clock, and that means we've run out of time and must artistically make our exit for another week. (laughs) With that, we'll leave you for one more week, and we hope that we'll return again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, hey, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Hey, before I get started, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, I lost my sunglasses yesterday. Today I went to the sunglass hut. Here's the question. Why does a pair of sunglasses cost more than a 25-inch color television set? (laughs) I walk into the sunglass hut. I see a pair of glasses I like. I don't love them. I like them. 309 bucks. And I asked the guy very politely, how do you sleep at night, you little (laughs) And I told him, and this is true, that two weeks ago I bought a 25-inch color television set from Walmart for 218 bucks. And he goes, well, apparently, sir, you don't get it. (laughs) I'm listening. He goes, these glasses eliminate 100% of all UV rays. I'm like, no, apparently you don't get it. This thing decodes a digital satellite signal it picks up from outer space. (laughs) And then it turned out the glasses got basic cable and I felt like a twit. So. (laughs) And then it turned out the glasses got basic cable and I felt like a twit. So. (laughs) 